When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations are out, and as always, for an ever-evolving institution, they are controversial. To talk about that, first of all, I have Keith Murphy, a veteran writer, author, and journalist who's written for the LA Times, Vibe, Entertainment Weekly, and the New York Post, among other places. Here's my conversation with Keith. So Keith, you wrote a great piece making what seemed to me to be a self-evidently true point that while Eminem deserves to be in the Rock and Roll fame, it doesn't seem right to get in now before so many legendary hip-hop artists, many of whom preceded him. Yeah, see, I I wanted to just uh, make it known that this was not about Eminem because Eminem has given so much to the culture. I mean, Eminem has put so many people on. Eminem is was D12 heavy. Eminem. So I get on stage, right? Drop the mic. Walk up to these hot chicks and I'm all like, what's up, ladies? My name's Slim Shady. I'm the lead singer of D12. Whenever someone would say, hey, you know, you're selling all of these albums, he'd be the first to remind you, hey, I've, I've, I've received avenues that other people have not been able to receive. I've been played on Rock Station. Nobody was playing Red Man on rock stations. They played me on rock stations, you know? So <laughs> he he knows what the deal is. He's a, he's a true troubadour of this, of this art form. I think what happened was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame boxed themselves in. They made the mistake of going with the obvious, heavy box office, sexy, sales-heavy artists after they went with a few pioneers. When you get the likes of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, you get Run DMC, you get Public Enemy, you get the Beastie Boys, you get NWA. And then things started to get really weird after that. They automatically went to Pac and Biggie. And that's when things kind of really went weird. And I understand why they did that, because they want eyeballs on that special now. The special that that comes on when it comes on HBO, they want eyeballs on that. But in doing so, you just bypass so many uh, people, artists, uh, LL being before his induction last year was like this man was going on tour with Run DMC and Public Enemy and NWA. He was headlining tours. He's the first important solo rap act. And you're telling me that it took him that long. And now he had, not only has it taken him that long, then he has to be inducted with Jay, with Jay-Z. And listen, Jay-Z deserves it. But once again, there is no way or no reason why LL had to wait that long and to be inducted by someone that wasn't even, he, wasn't even his peer. Yeah, it's just an obvious unforced error. In addition to everything else, it's just a bad look. They should have known better. It's kind of stunning that they would walk into this wall like this. It's like the thing in The Simpsons where he keeps stepping on the rakes. This is just a rake they're stepped in. You know what I mean? And he's going and he's going dough, dough all day. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. Now, I get it. Listen, you're absolutely correct. I think what happened was is that 
in previous years when they would induct artists, they made sure to get those heavyweight pioneers in before the Beatles, before the Stones, before Hendrix, before all of those artists. So that means, you know, you had a, a heavy dose of, you know, Little Richard. You had Chuck Berry. You had, you know, of course you had Elvis, but then you had people like Muddy Waters. You had, you know, like they they understood the assignment with that. They knew that if if they were not able to get a Little Richard in before a Beatles in, our hell was going to break loose. So they treaded lightly on that. I mean, you if you see the early nominee, you know, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, like they knew what was up. They weren't playing around. After that, you know, they say, okay, now it's it's fine to get these other people in. Let's let's get the Beatles, let's get the Stones, let's get all of these other, you know, British invasion acts, let's get all of these, you know, psychedelic acts, let's get the Motown, come on, Motown, come through, stacks come through. They were getting all these people through. But then something strange happened. Uh, after like post 1977, 78, they've had a blind spot. And I've mentioned this in a the piece. They have a major blind spot with Black women artists and with artists in general that come after that. So that means I'm not even just talking about R&B artists. I'm talking about punk. I'm talking about metal. I'm talking about British 80s bands. Like they're just really weird with it. When it comes to that. So that seeped over to hip hop. Hip hop got a, it caught astray with that. That's where we're at right now with Eminem. That's right. And there's, you know, like you said, Wu Tang Clan, Outcast alone, <laughs> have to go in before Eminem. De La Soul, Ice T, extremely important artist, uh, Snoop Dogg. Eric B. and Rakim. I mean, Eric B. and Rakim conundrum has been really interesting to me because uh, they've been off the ballot for, I guess, what, two, three years or something like that. And I have a feeling that they're going to they're going to get in. They're going to get in soon. Uh, Not before Tribe and not before Eminem, of course, because Eminem is going to be a first ballot. But I think the Hall and their voters and from some of the voters actually hit me up after that piece got published and they were like thanking me and they were like, I, I'm not going to name names, but they were thanking me like, man, like you said some stuff that we said behind closed doors. Yeah. This so is actually that you're talking about the nominating committee, not even just yeah, the, voters. the nominating yeah. committee. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so would a rock him specifically, cause it's really, really about him. The hall does not see beyond the notable, huge, Sales, hits. sales-driven people, right? Because they still get bogged down by art, the art of hip hop. They don't yes. really get the, the idiosyncrasies of it. They don't get the art of it. Like Rakim is like Hendrix to like rock guitar. Like there's a before Rakim and after Rakim. If you, if it's like light speed. Anybody right. that has done anything else after that is child's play in in, in, in terms of the leap that he made with rhyming. So that's very important. I ain't no joke. I used to let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm gonna make sure it's broke. When I'm going, I won't get song cause I won't let nobody press it. Well, it's like Public Enemy got in very quickly and uh, you know, I I think you and I are, are both enormous Public Enemy fans, but Chuck D would be the first to say, and he'll say it right now if you ask him, that Rakim was unbelievably important to the development of, of his rhyme style. 
I can throw both of them up and I'll be okay with one getting in and the other. I think what started to happen was when Pac and Biggie got in before him. That's when I knew everything was about to, you know, the proverbial <laughs> S-H-I-T was going to hit the fan because now you now you've just opened up a whole can of worms now. Now yeah, you're, you're, le- you're leaping generations, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you just, man, you said all that other stuff doesn't matter. You know, you, you basically said Rakim doesn't matter. You said Dela doesn't matter. You, you're basically saying Outcast doesn't matter. You're saying Ice T, the first gangster rapper, uh, West Coast gangster rapper who was like making 10 minute songs, like, you know, six in the morning that influenced NWA's you know, their music, they were listening to that. They patterned their rhymes after six in the morning. Six in the morning, police at my door. Fresh Shadita squeaky across the bathroom floor. Out my back window, I'm my escape. Didn't like, Absolutely. this is, it's, it's like, what are we talking about here? So I think what needs to happen is after Eminem gets in, because he's going to get in, <laughs> I think they just need a come to Jesus moment and just start, nominating these artists in a flurry, especially along with the Black women artists that are just missing. I I didn't even mention Salt and Pepper. Like, it's ridiculous. That They've never even been nominated. Like, what are we talking about? Salt and Pepper, Run DMC is their peers, right? Public Enemy is their peers. They're on tour with them. They sold more than a lot of those groups. They were still having hits in 1993, 94. So what are we talking about here? It's just It's just really weird. I think the Go-Go's getting in just really was a neon sign for me. In my my mind state, like, oh, of course, salt and pepper should get in. If if the Go-Go's are in, salt and pepper should should get in. They're kind of like the yin and yang of what they were doing for their genres at that time. I love that comparison. The outcast thing kind of blows my mind because they're so congruent with the stuff you'd, you'd think that the Hall of Fame easily understands. I mean, they did Hey Ya, for, for God's sakes. So that, that's just a, a wild omission. I mean, all of these are wild omissions. It's sort of like how Dolly Parton has never been in. Because even by the, the sort of prejudices of the Hall as they exist, these people should be in. You know, you don't even have to change their mindset to get these people in. The crossover angle with Dolly Parton was so exactly. huge. Exactly. My my black South Side Chicago ass <laughs> would hear Dolly Parton music. That's what I'm talking about. Like you could not get away from, you know, Islands in the Stream. You could not get away from working nine to five. You couldn't get away when she became this critical darling in the 80s, you know, making the music with Emmy Lou Harris and Linda Ronstadt. Like, like, like she has so many layers to her than the Jolene thing. And then black folks where I will always love you with Whitney. Like there's so many layers to her that it's kind of like, come on, come on, dog. Like, really? Honestly, it's the same thing with De La Soul. There's a story of like the butthole surfers in the 90s. They had a journalist on their tour bus and they said, have you heard this? It's my favorite new band. And it was De La Soul. You know, it's like they they were they crossed every barrier, too. Uh, and we're so important. I think the issue with Delato, and this is, you know, we all know about the, the streaming. The, yeah, the streaming and their music is not being available. So it's almost like out of sight, out of mind for these people. That's like they're they're like the Loch Ness monster of hip hop now, right? Like you you have to tell your kids and your your, <laughs> your family member, yeah, this was this group that was great, man, and they did all this this great sampling, and then they flipped the sampling, and and then they 
did a, a whole album on, uh, you know, hip hop and how it was going down the wrong path with stakes is high. And, you know, Pac was mad at him and wanted to fight. And, and his sister gives a story like he was just hurt. You heard his feelings because he was a De La Soul fan. Like, like there's so many layers. But because of the streaming issue and their music not being available right now, I think, I think they're just close to doing it. But their music now not being available on the streaming, it's, it's people just kind of forgot the impact that they've had. Yeah, on a side note, I don't know if you saw a Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, but the but the inclusion of a De La Soul song at the end of that movie created instantly created a whole new generation of De La fans who'd never heard them before, never heard the song before, and all of a sudden it was all over TikTok. I think for all they know, they thought it was a new song. Three, that's a magic number. Three. Yeah, that's hilarious to me. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. The TikTok angle will always be hilarious to me when they, when these kids pick up new songs and be like, wow, I, I really got put on to something new. And you're like, yeah, that came out like 25 years ago, man. One thing you encountered, and, and it's ironic given that this is the person who originated the word Stan. And by the way, when I interviewed him not that long ago, only six years ago, he's so in his own world that he claimed that he didn't know <laughs> that the word Stan had taken on an additional meeting. I wow. know that's crazy. Wow. Uh, wow. Maybe he was lying, but I, I don't think he was. I think you know he's just you know no. how he is. He's kind of in his no. own. He's got no, those blinders on. He's definitely in his own world. But anyway, so the guy who popular who you know indirectly created the term Stan, his stands went after you, acting like you were attacking him when you clearly weren't at all. Yeah, it's you know I, I've there are certain fan bases that you just know to just be ready for. <laughs> and you know that it's going to be heavy. Nicki Minaj's fan base is like that. M's fan base is like that. Kanye's fan base is like that. Michael Jackson's fan base is like that at times. But but with this, it struck a whole nother chord because suddenly I was getting the reverse racism thing. I was mm. getting the, oh, you're just saying this because Eminem is white. Oh, you're, you're just pulling the race card for this. And and, you know, maybe it was the way that the, the you know, the, the, the piece was tweeted out. Maybe it was the headline or whatever. But I would tell them because they sent me, you know, they found my email and they sent me some few, few messages. But I would tell them that he's just getting shrapnel at this point. He's just catching strays in and out. Like, it's not even about him anymore. Like, he, he's like, he's, he's just almost a bystander in this now because it's bigger than him. Right. Mm. The whole issue is bigger than him. So when you see me say that he's going to get in before a lot of artists who just happen to be black, I mean that I'm talking about how black folks are going to see this. I'm not talking about how you in London or you in Germany or you in a whole other country that does not understand the dynamics of race in this country and the history of race. I'm not talking about how you feel. I'm talking about how. Some African-American kids, some black kid, you know, in the hood somewhere just happen to be on Twitter and they just see Eminem pop up and they be like, well, what about this person? What about that person? Oh, man, they're doing this just like they did jazz. Oh, man, they're doing this just like they did rock and roll. It's easy to jump to those conclusions. And that's not Eminem's fault. But it is what it is. That's the reality of the situation. That's why I didn't want the hall, <clears throat> the rock hall to get into that situation. I just did not want them to get into that situation. I wanted them to tread really lightly, but 
boy, they they looks like they're they're ready to go gung ho with this one. They stepped right on those rakes, and it's it's like we literally, and I said this elsewhere. It's like uh, Andy Green and I literally had this conversation. Like, man, they have to be careful. They have to not do that. It's going to be such an obvious mistake, <laughs> and they just go ahead and do it because you know how they think. It's it's like I mean, absolutely, some of it is. <sighs> Some of it is a blindness to the racial issues, and, and, and some of it is just this overemphasizing of sales and hits over artistry and influence as far as, not as far as, again, of course he deserves to get in, but just as far as the order and who you prioritize. I think it comes down to the blatant disrespect of hip-hop and Black music in general. I think you see this in all quarters. If it's not yeah. a hit, it doesn't matter. What artist, what, what art are you bringing to this? We don't really care about the art. We care about how many, you know, how many streams you're getting. And, you know, meanwhile, meanwhile, you know, people can talk about the Velvet Underground. People can talk about the New York Dolls. You know, people can talk about early Bowie when, when he wasn't really even selling anything. They look at white artistry as that art. Black artists, and I use this thing that the term that I learned from when I was an avid poster on OK Player, like that was my home, right? And we, you, you know, we 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 just call it, you know, sometimes people have to be these, you know, these 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 super Negroes. They have to be, mm. you know, these these larger than life characters or nothing at all. Like you, you got to be James Brown, you got to be Prince, you got to be Michael, you got to be Aretha. You know, you can't just be, you know, quiet and unassuming and just put your music out that way, you know? So I, I think that goes with it. They don't mm. see hip hop as a vehicle that you can just come into the hall with the songs, with the art, with the production, with the sampling, with the, oh, wow, he used this. He was the first to use the metaphor here. Oh, wow. He was the first to microphone thing. You know, Rakim is talking about himself as a microphone. You know, he's talking about the microphone. The microphone is the character. He's not even the character. The microphone is the character. Like th that stuff like that gets lost for how many billboard hits did he have? Absolutely. I think that's well said. We'll see what happens. They're, it's a process. They're making their efforts. I stepping in some ditches, hitting those rakes. But some of the steps they need to take are pretty obvious, as you said. Yeah, I think Shaka Khan just she should get in. I think they've been torturing her long enough. All they need to do yeah. is to hear as I did is hear Prince talk about Shaka Khan. Or they yeah, can oh look no, he's super stand. Loved her, loved her, everything about her. Signed her to a, a deal at one point in in the nineties and loved her. And Pat Benatar, I don't know what they have against Pat Benatar. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing, man. Like if you're talking about a rock and roll Hall of Fame. You can't get as as rock, as much rock voice-wise as Pat Benatar in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. Like, come on, like, what are we talking about here? So they got to they gotta do better with women. They got to do better with hip-hop. And they need to do better with music that came out, like, after 1978, 79. And Duran Duran getting their first nomination is a joke. That's, that's just crazy. Right, right. It's... Uh... Well, you know, a lot of blind spots, hopefully, and there's uh, hopefully they'll be filling them in sooner rather than later. Keith, thanks so much uh, for providing all that perspective. It was much needed. I appreciate it. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Thank you, man. We're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Here's Andy Green to discuss some of the ins and outs of this year's nominations and the general state of the hall. So, Andy, what I see going on most broadly with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a transition between truly seeing themselves as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that then extends that designation to other genres. I feel like they were inducting people from the hip-hop world, from the country world, etc., who they felt had the quote-unquote spirit of rock and roll. So that was the gauge that they were using. And I think it's quietly made a transition to actually we're truly in all but name the popular music hall of fame. And we're no longer judging people by that sort of rock and roll scorecard, which is, of course, a very intangible thing in the first place. Like, you know, why is Tupac rock and roll? You can kind of make the case, but it's this kind of loosey-goosey idea. Would you agree that that's sort of a change that's happened? I think that's definitely true. If you look back in the 90s, they brought in Johnny Cash because he's a real rock kind of a country guy. But they didn't bring in Dolly Parton. They didn't bring in Willie Nelson. They didn't bring in these other huge icons that there always had to be some thin layer of rock to it. And now it's really the loosest definition possible where people, that they bring Whitney Houston, you know, who's awesome, but not a lot of people would view that as a rock and roll person. So yeah, it's it has loosened for sure. And part of it is simple chronology, right? If we're talking about 25 years is the criteria for getting in, 25 years now means, what, 1997 for a first release. And the rock and roll era, you know, say what you will, there's an argument to be made, as we've discussed many times, that it, it sort of kind of ended with the death of Kurt Cobain. There's certainly been great rock songs. There's certainly been great rock bands since, and there will be again, but the era of sort of cultural dominance ended there. And you also start to look back and say, hey, look, you know, Lionel Richie, maybe he wasn't getting his flowers at the time, and, and he deserves it more since we were overemphasizing the Smiths or whatever at that time. So it's all part of that. It's part of the, you know, a little bit of the dethroning of rock as the king sort of genre here. And, it, and it's everything that reverberates from that. Yeah, and I think a big thing here is the Hall of Fame for so long was focused on the 60s and the 70s, bringing in every group that Eric Clapton was ever in, just sort of <laughs> scraping the barrel for a very long time, and they kind of missed the 80s. I mean, they brought in U2, and you know, they brought in like Guns N' Roses, they brought in the big stuff, but they skipped over so much of the 80s, and they should be now in the late 90s, as you said. But they have to go back, and, and, and every year it's been Depeche Mode or The Cure, and now it's Duran Duran and Lionel Richie and Kate Bush and the Eurythmics and so on and so on. There's all of these big MTV acts that they just skipped over. So they're not really doing Soundgarden or The Pumpkins or anything now. They're going back and really taking a big look at the 80s. And just to go through the ballot, Eminem, Dolly Parton, Lionel Richie, Duran Duran, Beck, Pat Benatar, Carly Simon, A Tribe Called Quest, Kate Bush, Devo, Judas Priest, 
Eurythmics, Felakuti, MC5, New York Dolls, Rage Against the Machine, and Dionne Warwick. So it's actually a mix of all sorts of things, right? And these are just the nominations. We'll see who the class is. Yeah, and the class is a very different thing that's never been more true than now. A real weak part of the Hall of Fame for decades was no matter who they nominated, it would come down to the voters. So they'd give you the Stooges year after year after year in the ballot, and they wouldn't get in until finally it happened. It's been the MC5 a zillion times. It's been Chaka Khan about 714 ballots, you know, and they never get in. And the Hall of Fame with their new regime in the past couple of years, they really changed it in a very quiet way where they backdoor in like 13 different people who are not on the ballot. It's their way to make sure they get a balanced class and they hit all kinds of of genres and artists that get skipped over by the voting pool. So if you look at the ballot last year, it was five people on the ballot that got in and then they brought in like another 12 or something. Which doesn't actually bother me personally. I think that it's probably necessary. No, it's great. They tried L. Cool J on the ballot so many times. He didn't get in. He so deserved it. So they gave him the I'm the Aragon Award. But on the night of the Hall of Fame, they make no distinction, really. And when I interviewed him, he made zero distinction. And he got in in the same way the Beatles were in, as it felt. And it allows them to really have a balanced class to make sure that there's somebody metal, make sure there's somebody hip-hop, and make sure there's R&B. You know, it's a way to sort of take the chance out of the process and not have that crazy year we had a few years ago where it was just like Deep Purple and Steve Miller and Cheap Trick and stuff, you know, a real craptacular year. Though I love Cheap Trick, you know, I'm just saying that it wasn't a big night. It's interesting to see Beck. I feel like there's a lot of people who need to be in before Beck. I love Beck, but there's a lot of so-so albums. To take him in before, I mean, if you're just talking about 90s acts, take him in before Soundgarden or The Pumpkins or Jane's Addiction, I guess they are, like, late 80s. But there's so many acts that deserve it more. But I think he has almost no chance. I think he's not going to get in. To many of us, especially Rob Sheffield, shout out Rob Sheffield, Duran Duran is a no-brainer. At the same time, just based on the weird way it works, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they didn't make it. I think they make it. I think that they're the only group of their kind here. And if you look at the recent history that The Cure got in and Depeche Mode got in, and then in some ways Duran Duran, although are, they are just as big as, as those two groups. And they had an 80s period and a 90s period. I think they have lots of fans. I, th- I think they make it. I think the Eurythmics, who I happen to love, and we saw that amazing reunion performance oh my God. by them at the Rainforest Benefit right before the pandemic. They've been on previous ballots, and they didn't get it. And you just get five votes, and I think Duran Duran are going to soak in all the votes that would go for them. And I think they don't get it. I think they should switch it up. I think instead of having an induction ceremony, they should have a concert where all the nominees play in front of an audience that includes all the voters. (laughs) And that that should help them vote. (laughs) I think if the voters, if they'd seen LL Cool J play, they would have voted for him years ago. He destroyed the place last year. It was absolutely insane. And it took like nine ballots or something for them to just backdoor him when he deserves it as much as like anybody. People forget that the voting body includes everyone who was ever inducted. So there's members of like the Five Heartbeats or whatever. Oh, there's no Five Heartbeats. That's <laughs> they, a movie. The I Five think. Heartbeats were but, inducted in uh, 2000. 
the the members no, gave a cheerful but, speech. They're a very important duo up group, Andy, and they all get to yeah, vote in the. They don't exist. You sure they, they don't are a exist? Fictional band. Isn't a movie? I, Isn't the, the Five Heartbeats? That was a movie, right? <laughs> I personally, I I advocated long and hard for the Five Heartbeats induction. Yeah, well, they don't exist, but <laughs> that Ted, but <laughs> what should we Google it right now while we're doing the podcast? <laughs> Five Heartbeats. It's a 1991 film. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, which is loosely based on the Dells and the, the Temptations and the Four Tops. Yeah, see, close enough. Okay, but not a real group. Fine. The, by the technicality of not <laughs> existing, the Five Heartbeats were no. not inducted and do not get a vote. As as everyone says, you know, the facts may be wrong, but the, the intention is correct. My point stands. Yes. It we're feels correct. We're a post-truth correct, society, but, Andy. But the people who do vote are surviving members of the Four Tops and the Temptations and Gladys Knight and the Pips and Little Anthony and the Imperials. And I'm sure the Imperials are great men. I revere them. I'm not sure they know much about Rage Against the Machine or Duran Duran. Right. Dave Clark is voting on whether, I mean, assuming he puts in the ballot, Dave Clark is, Dave Clark of the Dave Clark Five gets to decide whether Judas Priest and Tribe Called Quest get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it's, it's tricky. It's tricky, but there's also lots of other people who vote. They've attempted to dilute, to dilute, the influence of the Imperials and of Dave Clark by bringing in lots of these younger writers and stuff and, and the experts, but it's not enough. It, it, it's still about a thousand people. And I think it should be a lot more so we get in bands like Rage that really deserve it. That there's a real metal problem too, that there's so many metal bands just are not in, in the Hall of Fame. And Judas Priest, they so deserve it. And I bet that I, I bet that they don't make it Again, yes, Judas Priest deserved to get in, and so does Lionel Richie. So does so does Tribe Called Quest. So does, it's very tricky. What would you say to someone who's iffy on Pat Benatar? She has so many great songs that they brought in Stevie Nicks solo, and I love Stevie Nicks on the strength of like three big hits, where Pat is like twelve of those. She's awesome. She should have had been years ago. I would say go listen to her greatest hits record and realize how many great songs she has. attitude that she brought to them i mean she is a key figure that brought the 70s into the 80s you know and i think she's great i guarantee you that her husband who's constantly who is listed as a member of pat benatar on the ballot he gets in too i'm surprised he's not mad that it isn't literally pat benatar and neil gerardo yeah he has been half of her for her whole career and it's kind of weird make the case for carly simon she has a ton of great songs that have been forgotten. She's one of the best James Bond songs ever. In the 70s and the 80s, she killed it. I would recommend some of her 80s work. I think for her 80s song, it's just called Coming Around Again in the movie Heartburn, that that alone is Hall of Fame worthy. It's a masterpiece. I know nothing stays the same, but if you're willing to play the game. She had a 70s, she had an 80s, she has so many great songs. She deserves it fully. Another segment that's always tough and maddeningly so is the sort of arty, influential weirdos. And in this ballot, that's Kate Bush and Devo. They have different problems. The problem that Kate Bush has is the same problem that the Smiths have 
it's too British. And the Hall of Fame is so painfully American that in England, Kate Bush is an icon. She's a goddess, and she deserves to be. In the States, she has zero famous songs. I mean, she has no songs that the public knows. And so she's not getting in properly, which is really a nightmare. If this was the UK Hall of Fame, she would have been in 10 years ago. And Devo, who are one of my favorite bands of all time, they have a problem of one singular song that's so insanely famous, it's overshadowed all of their other work. And they're almost seen as a novelty band. I think that your average music fan, they think of them as these goofballs in, in, the, in, like, in just red flower pot hats. That's in that song, Whip It. Try to detect it. It's not too late to whip it. Whip it good. And it kind of destroyed them. Because they so, so deserve it. Yeah. With Kate Bush, I'm not sure the average Hall of Fame voter understands that she's super influential on, on Outkast and other groups that you'd never even imagine. Just a really important artist, a really important influence. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that sometimes seems to escape the larger voting body. They should all be forced to hear Hounds of Love straight through. If they could just be strapped to a chair and played that record and then played the first Devo record... They would get it. Dave Clark will love that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For Dave Clark. I'm sure Dave Clark's a great guy. Dave Clark might be the most progressive guy in the world. And great drummer, underrated band, Dave Clark 5. I'm sorry. I'm just using him as an example of someone who is a bit aged and still has to uh, vote in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, for all I know, Dave Clark is the, is the hippest guy in the world. I, I'm being uh, facetious here. I'm not sure he knows it's Kate Bush. I'd bet good money that he's not down with Kate Bush. <laughs> it seems unlikely, but, you know, I don't... Just for the record, God bless Dave Clark. Lionel Richie, it's an interesting sort of Hall of Fame thing that it was Lionel Solo versus the Commodores. Yeah, I'm sure that was a debate at the nominating committee meeting, but he has, like, 10 huge hit songs they have like three or four that have that are really still a part of the culture he has eclipsed them he is it's it's even it's like phil collins with genesis or something though i guess that they're in and he's not that's an awful example but <laughs> what co-writing we are the world probably enough on its own he took 10 years off his career between 86 and 96 and that really wounded him but from the early to mid-80s, he was basically just below Michael Jackson as a superstar. And it's so many hits. And it's sort of weird that it's taken so long. And, and I think the Commodores are very due also. The Dolly Parton thing just shows how myopic the Hall of Fame could be. And it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I, I think they're going back now and trying to fix historic errors. That last year was Carole King and Tina Turner. That they were both in prior, but it was Carol King as a songwriter and Tina as part of just Ike and Tina. And it was sort of, it was these glaring mistakes that had just been sitting there just year after year they finally fixed. And I think it's the same thing here with Ali Parton. And like, where is Cher too? This is crazy that, that, that there's no Cher yet. Is, so Sonny and Cher are in, but not Cher? No, they're both not in. What? Yeah. There's no Sonny and Cher and there's no Cher. I mean, the problem is... Honestly, not only do we have to get in more hip-hop from the 80s and 90s, there's also seemingly a, an unending parade of major artists, possibly going back to the 50s, who are not in. I guess we got most of the 50s, but certainly there's 60s artists who should be. Oh, yeah, but which, which is why they've upped the number of people who are brought in by a huge margin. I went from 6 to like 17 in the past few years. They're rapidly trying to go back. Yeah, and I think necessary. The, the, I, 
I mean, the Dolly thing is really interesting because, you know, we were saying that for country music, the Dolly thing is really interesting because we were saying that it goes back to what we were saying. The idea was you somehow had to be rock and roll. But the truth is, it's a pretty huge failing to have not even by that old criteria to have not found a way to see Dolly as rock and roll does suggest that the lenses were just too narrow, even by that sort of restrictive criteria. It's ridiculous. And Dolly was not just country by any means. She was a pop star in the 80s. You look at 9 to 5 or Islands in the Stream. These were crossover, enormous pop hits. Yeah. And, you know, all you have to do is hear the White Stripes doing Jolene and realize that that's, you know, that's just a great song bar genre, as, as are so many of her songs. And she wrote all of her songs. Yeah. You know, there's some great country people who weren't writers. She wrote all of these songs. You know, it's so impressive. It's honestly, it's the more you think about it, it just literally makes no sense. It's not even like, you know, some people would say that it's, oh, it's by the criteria of sort of the old Rolling Stone. But old Rolling Stone did multiple features on Dolly Parton. It wasn't like she was excluded from Rolling Stone's world either. She's on the cover. But there's no Willie Nelson in the Hall of Fame. He's never even been on the ballot. And he's a rock star. Yeah, that makes no sense either. A lot of great artists have gotten in. I don't know that there's a lot of artists that would go back and say they shouldn't have gotten in. What I like is that each induction, each set of nominees isn't just the people who are newly eligible that year because that would be kind of a nightmare. The truth is it has to look back across these genres and the, and the nominating committee is clearly trying. They're trying really hard to fill these gaps. And I, as much as I think this Eminem thing is a pure fuck up, <laughs> it's kind of an undeniable fuck up because it's too soon. It's too soon. But if they stuck to just people who were newly eligible, there'd be some crazy ass years soon. They'd be bringing it in like crazy town and like in like like orgy or something. I mean, if, well, if you just do groups that started in the late 90s, it's going to be a nightmare. Well, you would look at you'd look at rap and pop and stuff and, you know. But even still, it would be brutal when you get to the super late 90s and the early aughts for brand new groups. So, in 2 years, Britney Spears eligible, I say boom, first ballot, she should go in. Yes, I would agree. It will be an awesome night. And we're not super far away from Taylor Swift. I, I truly hope that Taylor Swift gets in before Blur. I hate to say it, but, oh. you know, and you know she will. I think she will. <laughs> and when we spoke with Carol King of the Hall of Fame, she said that if she was still standing, that she would induct her, which would be awesome if they flipped. That would be amazing. It's... Should they change the name of the thing <laughs> at this point? No, I think I could, you could always argue, and I do feel this, that rock and roll is a very loose term. It's a tree with a lot of branches, and it's basically almost all popular music that rose out post-1954-ish. Yeah. <laughs> it's not jazz. It's not <laughs> polka yeah, sure. or whatever, but, you know. It's it, fine. I think I think as long as it is interesting just to bring it back to what we we're saying. It is interesting that it used to be I guess it's just a, it's just a constant redefinition and it's fine. It, it it's just I think it would just help people's confusion over what's going on. You know, it would help uh, poor Gene Simmons understand what what's going on here. Because if they made a place that, that that couldn't honor Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five or Madonna, by the 80s, it would just be ridiculous. Right. And, and I also think, quite frankly, that when the Hall of Fame was started, the focus 
they weren't necessarily thinking this far ahead. They were thinking about honoring the people, the, the godfathers and godmothers of, hopefully, of rock and roll. And in mm-hmm. some ways, it's like the original function of it was completed, you know, I don't know, around 2000-something. And then it had to figure out a new purpose, and that's okay. I, I would agree with that. And I think it's been smart to be like, why not bring in Randy Rhodes? He deserves it, you know, to really stretch out in all these different directions. They just need to stretch a bit more to prog rock. They have to bring in King Crimson. This is ridiculous. <laughs> well, here's what's going to happen with that. There is a documentary coming out about King Crimson that might be incredible. If it is incredible, all of a sudden, you will see, without a doubt, they will be nominated next year. Because it's just a matter of making people aware. Yeah, but it shouldn't require a Go-Go's documentary to get the Go-Go's in, but that's what it took. It's sort of unfortunate that it works that way. You know, it is what it is. And, you know, obviously, prog rock isn't anyone's priority, but... It is representative. It's like they missed a lot of tributaries and in some case entire oceans. And you got to go back and do it and you have to do it with some with some sense and some order, which is why the Eminem thing is upsetting because it 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 disrupts the natural order of things. And they need to bring in more metal just so Eddie Trunk will will calm down about it. It's been making him insane for so many years now. He's going to have a stroke soon if they don't bring in Judas Priest. Judas Priest, and what are the other ones that need to happen immediately? They need to bring Iron Maiden. They need to bring in Motorhead uh, as soon as possible. Eh, I can live without Iron Maiden. Oh, come on. (laughs) They are hugely important, amazing band. They deserve it richly. But Judas Priest, you know, I, I think is one of those bands that transcends genre. I think that that even non-metalheads can understand why they're great and should take a listen and understand why they're important. Yeah, for sure. It's this. It's the same with Motorhead. And you'd think Motorhead's the way that they kind of bridge punk and metal, et cetera, et cetera, and the sort of icon status of Lemmy would would help. But again, you know, Dave Clark. Not sure Lemmy is an icon at Dave Clark's house. <laughs> No, I doubt that. I doubt the Imperials are like blasting our blasting of spades right now, in their nursing home. <laughs> yeah. And the same way they're not blasting Tribe Called Quest or Kate Bush, you know, it's yeah. it's tough. And where's Outcast? I mean, like, come on. <laughs> when were Outcast first eligible? Like at least two or three years ago. Okay, that's insane. Yeah. I sometimes I forget to do the math. That that is, the absence of Outcast is shocking actually it's ridiculous it's they are rock stars they deserve it they have some of the best albums in the history of hip-hop and jane's addiction they, they deserve it and pixies and pavement and joy division and sonic youth and the smiths and the replacements there's so many well it's interesting jane's addiction d- deserve it at least as much as anyone you name because just their influence again because i think i think influence was always in my mind supposed to be one of the biggest criteria i know it's listed as one but it, in my mind it's almost one of it's it may be the most important sure and jane's addiction i don't think it's one of those things that are, are very hard it's very hard to explain to people now but they really were important to the alternative bands of the 90s they really helped reshape the way people sounded if there's no jane's addiction there's no pearl jam or any of that stuff you hear it on Gish, on, yeah. on Smashing Pumpkins Gish. It's 
so clear. So if you were if you were influence if you were a key influence on both the Pumpkins' first album and on Pearl Jam's first album alone, then and wait a second, what about the Pumpkins? They deserve it, and they haven't even been nominated. I don't think. Yeah, I mean the pump. I mean that's the thing. Beck over the Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know. It makes no sense. I guess Jane's addiction and the Pumpkins have both hurt themselves with a lot of these latter day albums and partial reunion tours and stuff. It's so weird. It's sort of you, you get screwed either way. Pavement gets screwed because they were too much of a critic's favorite. You know, so they start to seem like it's just a critic's thing, which is obviously absurd. But I'm just I can imagine the, the debate in the nomination room. And then Smashing Pumpkins, I think, still probably get hurt as being not as much a critic's favorite. It's a general bias against all 90s bands. A lot of these voters, they were older in the 90s. They weren't listening to a lot of new stuff. And they don't appreciate these groups. I love Rage Against the Machine, and this is their third ballot, and they probably still won't get in. Right, and Tom Morello is on the nominating committee. Uh, we're allowed to say that, right? It's not a secret, right? No, yeah, no. Okay. It's, it's very public. <laughs> so Tom's like, uh, guys, I got, I got another idea this year. <laughs> um, well, uh, he can make the ballot easy, but to get in, he needs the votes. <laughs> and a lot of these voters, if you play them Rage Against the Machine, all they're here is like, blah, 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 you know, they won't hear the they won't hear the beauty of it. It's just noise to them, and that's really a shame. So my proposal is a video interview series with Dave Clark, <laughs> where we play all this music for him as a as an archetypal rock and roll fan voter, and he gives his honest reaction. I think that would do numbers. Yeah, I'm sure he would love Bulls on Parade. Andy, final thoughts. What do you think we're going to be looking at for next year's nominees? Which is impossible to answer because some of these people may not get in and may be on the ballot again next time. It's so hard to say next year. I think next year will be the MC5 in the belt again. It'll be Judas Priest again. It'll be the Rhythmics again. It'll be a bunch of these same people. I don't know who's new in 97. I'd have to look through that. I hope it's Outkast for, for the belt, but I think Dolly Parton is a shoe-in for this year. I think Duran Duran are going to definitely get it. I'm going to bet on Carly Simon. I think she hates the sweet spot for many of these voters. And I think Duran Duran will have an awesome set. They will reunite, hopefully, with Andy Taylor and with Warren Cucurello for a super jam of Duran Duran, past and present. It'll be amazing. I still, I think that the greatest jam ever for me will actually still be Chuck D with Rush, Public Enemy with Rush. Nothing, nothing in my mind will ever top that. Because it, <laughs> what you want is something you could never imagine happening, happening. And that's what that was. That was very, very cool. God, there's been so many. We could go all day about the best moments, but Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page when they did Beck's Bolero into into Immigrant Song, that was sick. All right, Andy Green, thank you very much for joining me. Of course, it was fun. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week on Sirius XM's Volume Channel 106. And in the meantime, Rolling Stone Music Now is a podcast. Download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to... 
to Talkville. The Ultimate Smallville Rewatch Podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.